Yeah, I feel what you're saying about. Nope, nope, wait. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> damn, damn. <laughs> I, 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 he did not. I he did not feel you. Yo, I, yeah, you did not feel. I did not feel it at all. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta wait a minute. Welcome to the very first episode of the United Amends Project podcast. My name is Joseph James. This is Caleb Roberts. And this is Julian Owens. Uh, We're super happy you're giving us a listen, and we'd really love it if you'd go ahead and subscribe or follow our podcast on whichever platform you're listening from. That just allows you to stay up to date on when new episodes are released, and it gives us some support and encouragement with the uh, production of this project. Uh, And so before we get too deep into the weeds, I want to let everyone know that we're actually dropping two episodes for our launch. Yeah. Uh, The first episode, which you're listening to now, will delve into our project and examine what unity actually means. And the second episode, which is actually an interview, is going to be something we'll do every other episode. And to kick off, we'll be speaking with the founder of Inside Out and all-around amazing person, Bobby Lyle. Um, So after you've listened, you know, feel free to go ahead and rate and review if you feel inclined to give us five stars, you know, ahead of that, go for it. Definitely. Uh, so uh, let's get into it. Guys, we started a podcast. I always, I always knew Joseph had a face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> I was on board with it. I was on board with no it. No comment. Yeah, we can't even get two minutes in without the jokes. It's, it's going to be one. <laughs> I got like three good ideas. You know, that's good enough to pod with. Like three ideas? That's dope. <laughs> You know, that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> All right. Uh, to get things started, I think it would be really good to circle back and think about 2020, which kind of served as a catalyst for this project. Yeah, Joseph. Uh, to that point, you know, 2020 did a lot for my thinking about where I was and where my community was. Like, um, I think back specifically to like the, the BLM uh, marches and what that did to me uh, and my psyche. So as people who know me, like I'm never want to be quiet. I'm always willing to talk about situations and the marches uh, surprisingly had me quiet. And I, I was personally dealing with a lot of things as someone who's been affected by police issues, as I'm sure I'll talk about on this podcast at a later date. Um, you know, to see that the amount of people, the sheer amount of people that were out on the streets protesting made me feel, you know, on one side, amazing. Cause I'm like, they finally get it. They finally see what's happening on a day to day, what we deal with. Um, and shortly after that, uh, a lot of concern, angst, um, I just really didn't feel as happy as I thought I would. And as I, I, like dove down into my feelings. What I, what I figured out is I'm concerned about how much it takes for the public as a whole to understand the complexities of black life. And the BLM protest put that in full display because on one side, people were really seeing what's happening, but this is a 50, 60 year, you know, a hundred year history with police violence. And in 2020, we finally get a point where 
white people are fed up with it. Now, what do we do with economic issues? What do we do with the larger issues that are undergirding our American system that black people have to deal with and other people have to deal with? And uh, how long does that take to come to the forefront? And so that was really affecting me personally. And I realized that I needed an avenue for it. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Joseph, you reached out to me and I got to meet Julian. I got to meet the rest of the team uh, because what it meant for me was a, a place to talk about these things. And, um, you know, this is as much as therapy as it is benefit to, to the listeners. Like, I want to understand these things better for myself. And I also want to be a resource. So that's how I got here. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, we actually met a few years back at a Noma conference in Houston. You just don't remember because I'm not memorable, nah. and I get it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> actually, no, we we did, we did, we did, Julie. I'm sorry, but but I will say, yeah, I honestly, I had a very similar experience of 2020 uh, that Caleb had, um, where towards the beginning. I looked around and I thought, yeah, this is a great thing that these issues are finally starting to get the attention of not just black people. Um, however, you know, we got maybe 10 months into the year and I'm noticing we're still having the same kind of surface conversations. Uh, and it just, I wasn't sure how we were going to progress. So I was also worried and I was also kind of in my head a lot, just wondering, okay, so what are the next steps? Like, can we can we stop <laughs> having all the diversity, equity, and inclusion um, conversations with companies? And can we talk maybe more on the root of the issues as to, to why there aren't kids coming up to to be in these companies? Um, so I, you know, in my mind, I'm just trying to figure out how I can talk through possible avenues of getting to the roots of our issues and so that's what i'm really looking forward to doing on this podcast yeah i mean like i said 2020 was an insane year but uh i think it could wind up serving as a foundation for some really monumental change um and to give my own perspective i think for a while extending before even 2020 i saw a need around conversations about society that delve beyond kind of this elementary level of just pop culture topics and, you know, that's difficult because there's a collective fatigue around unpacking, you know, any information where people disagree and everyone just wants to, you know, exit a conversation at any sign of conflict. And so we've really become lazy with regards to engaging with others on any topics that, you know, are really important to analyze. And um, everything just gets exited on, well, you know, I'm entitled to my opinion. So, you know, why would I, why would I seek out any new information? And like, why would I question something that could, you know, result in me finding out that my perspective is, you know, wrong or just even just incomplete. And, you know, so to avoid that feeling, we don't seek out anyone else's perspective that is outside of our bubble or our community. And that behavior kind of just inevitably leads to increased polarization and just increased cultural division. And it's a bit cliche, but there isn't always a single answer to a solution. So with that understanding, it's really important to actually try to comprehend another person's perspective and, you know, their guiding philosophies. And historically marginalized groups, you know, in particular, whether it be black people, women, queer people, religious minorities, you know, even disabled people, 
these groups haven't been given, you know, the same space to voice the nuance and foundations, which is really important. Like that nuance and, and those fundamental pieces of perspective that, you know, we constantly get from the majority culture because content is always filtered through their eyes. And so I see this podcast as an opportunity for societal growth with those conversations coupled with, you know, the introduction of data, which we really focus on. And so the UAP pod is really just about embracing the process of perspective and and learning and uh, focusing on self-education. So keeping that in mind, education and specifically self-education and understanding, I have a question for y'all. What the hell is unity? Yeah, that's a good point, Julia. I think we use this word too liberally sometimes. And uh, I'm going to talk specifically about for our purposes. Uh, so unity for us is an active engagement between people or groups. So I really want to bring out the key word is active. Uh, too many times I hear unity be used as a as a like uh, a random word to just make things more orderly or make things more passive. Not to actually deal with problems, but just as a way for you to move about your day without having to deal with the issues that unity is trying to bring together. What do I mean by that? Like we've all been in school and you and another kid has had a problem or something like that. And your teacher just says, hey, you know, make it better. Say you're sorry. That's a push for unity. Now, didn't nobody ask me if I was really sorry. The teacher doesn't care if I'm really sorry. The teacher just wants his or her day to go about, you know, as as easy as possible. But they're not dealing with my problems as a kid. Has this person been a bully to me? Have they made my learning experience hard? All the things that can happen as a kid, nobody wants to deal with. But they want to tell you to unify. And you have to be careful when you ask people to come together. Are you willing to? Uh, to put the work in that it takes, do you have the energy that it takes to truly make unity happen? Yeah, uh, Caleb, you're completely correct in bringing up the idea of intentionality. Uh, we have to really be deliberate about identifying the uh, underlying reasons to unite around something. You know, it really doesn't serve a purpose if we can't come to terms with a collective goal. Uh, because, you know, without that set agenda for what we're galvanizing around, we're just really stagnant. And a lot of groups will just introduce the idea of unity for obstructive matters. Um, and just to maintain the status quo, it's, uh, you know, really about stifling the concerns of anyone who voices that something isn't working and, you know, to change anything and, you know, seek betterment is seen as like this affront to the comfort and the sensibilities of people who've probably flourished in the status quo or, you know, just people who've become used to it and take it as the norm. Uh, but what I really want to establish is that unity is really about what coincides with it. It, it really needs a direction. So we put the word amends next to it because, you know, as black people, we've seen the need for the amendment of the status quo. We've seen that our equitable participation and our well-being was, you know, intentionally discouraged, um, you know, in the formation of American society. And then secondly, we consider that, you know, the idea of making amends, which requires this kind of active engagement to not only change something, but, you know, make it right for those who were negatively impacted. And, you know, in that conversation of making things right, we go beyond the surface level manifestation of issues. So with like police violence, we look into, you know, the social uh, systems and policies that create a level of racial and social stratification. And, you know, that create a sense of hostility between groups of people that 
meet out a point of policing the segregation of space and opportunity. Um, but just in thinking of that, uh, I think it would be important to, to analyze times that we've engaged with people uh, in ways that force us to move outside of what we take for granted. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear maybe both of your perspectives on, on those times. It, it makes me think immediately of, uh, before I actually tell this story, I do need to say I grew up a very religious, military, black life. That was the life that I had growing up. Um, so uh, was this a uh, rough week for you with yeah. uh, Lil Nas X? Yeah. Hey, I'm not. Uh, was I'm he not, uh, coming for you? I'm not coming for everybody. Into it. I'm not getting into it. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get me canceled after the first episode. But I will say that I was definitely fed some uh, very inappropriate narratives growing up. Like it was just mm -hmm. the norm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think I really came to terms with that until later on in life. I was dating this young lady that just happened to be pansexual. Um, and I remember very vividly, we were out one night and the conversation happened. I knew in my mind the conversation had to happen, but if I know oh, we're happened, getting into this. All right. Oh yeah. No, we're gonna get into it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get into all the details of the conversation, but she did ask me a question regarding like the possibility of having children that were in the LGBTQ plus community. And so in that moment, I had to think multiple things. One, I want to be honest with this woman because I actually liked her, liked with a D. Um, yeah, the past tense on it. Yeah. Just be make safe, sure. young man. Be safe. <laughs> Safety. Right. Uh, so I need honestly was honestly was big, uh, but two, you had to take a second to ask yourself why 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 do I even believe some of the things that I believe? Like, is it based off of any sort of fact? Is it based off of ill feelings, or is it just some stuff that I was fed? So coming to terms with the fact that like I don't have a real need to be attached to these inappropriate opinions honestly um and then so we we went on and had a very honest conversation um and i can honestly say that conversation shifted my perspective on a lot of things um mm -hmm. not even just regarding the lgbtq community but a lot of different things can't get into it but honestly i had to ask myself why did i even have these barriers up in the first place and then be open to someone educating me and allowing them to to take away my barriers do do you think that conversation was afforded because you know she helped create space for you to come into that conversation and kind of served as like a liaison to and a non-judgmental liaison um, and point of dialogue for you to just communicate your own perspectives and and while she shared her own yeah absolutely uh she definitely created space within that conversation even just within her her life for somebody of my background to have that conversation to be open to different perspectives and then on the other side of things me i had to i had to be more open 
to going into a space outside of my comfort zone to have these conversations. So creating space was definitely a, a two-way street in order to, to have those difficult conversations. I, I want to start off by shouts out to this young lady, wherever she may be at. You know, <laughs> Yo. She had Julia shook it, you know. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, Kudos to her. Yeah, you got to give her credit for having you shook it out there. You know, that's 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 hard. But that's the work. That's the work. But the question I really wanted to ask you is, did that reflect on some other people in your life? Like, you know, maybe some of the people you grew up with and their thought process. How did that eventually, you know, turn the lens back on them? Like, what responsibility did you feel to that? If you understand what I'm getting at. I feel you. Yeah. The conversation definitely did spread to people in my personal life that were essentially affected by the same narrative that I was affected by. Um, I can't really say that the conversation led to certain changes in perspective for everybody. Uh, Cause you know, uh, people stand firm in their beliefs a lot of times, but Facts. it was, it was honestly good to have conversations that we've never had. And even if they don't say that they've, they've become more open to different ideas there's still a possibility that there that some things happened that went unsaid. That's really important because I think when we talk about mental fatigue that happens, you know, in conversations around race where people feel like they almost don't know what to say and they don't want to, and, 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 you know, you combine that with cancel culture and they're almost uh, fearful almost to really express their ideas. And these are, you know, obviously people coming to the table in good faith, but you want to facilitate that space for them. But at the same time, you know, as black people, um, in particular in scenarios about race, you also have a level of mental fatigue where you're just kind of like, why haven't you done more of the work to understand these things? And, you know, so Caleb, I'm kind of curious, how in your past have you dealt with that fatigue while, you know, also creating that space for new voices and perspectives that may have, um, you know, been conditioned a certain way um, to not necessarily understand your perspective? I would say for me, honestly, in this past year, it's taken me a lot to be honest with people. And I find myself uh, being 28 in the professional uh, field that um, I wasn't being honest with people about how things truly affected me. And a lot of times I just do not want to go through the time of explaining it. Like if you don't understand, and it's something that I value about the friend groups that I have, I, I really don't have to explain. But sometimes when you bring people into your life, you have to then explain, hey, I don't feel comfortable going there. And then have to go through the whole explanation of, well, if I go here and this happens, I'm going to be really upset. And that's tiring, yeah, yeah. you know? And then people yeah. just, they attach their own, personal ideas of why you wouldn't want to do something and and for me that's just it's just been so tiring that it, it becomes liberating where I can just say something and just let it off my chest and not explain it let them do the work of explaining it like I will say no I'm not gonna go over there you know I really don't like being around a whole bunch of police and they're going to have a bunch of things that they will say. I turn that completely, you know, down. I just say my piece 
I let them sit with it a while. And most of the time, people don't say anything back. They, oh, I didn't know you would say that. It's, it's not like a preset answer. And the problem I have is that in order to let somebody in to ask those kind of questions is a huge thing. You know, it, it's a major thing to let people in to be able to ask you certain questions. And I understand if you don't want to. But there are ways to do it that won't um, exasperate you, that won't frustrate you. And I think it's even been harder for me to take uh, take the onus on myself to say what I mean, mean when I say and leave it. Not explain it, not try to be understood, not try to be all these things and just say how I feel. No, I don't want to do that for this reason. And I think that's a step that people can engage and learn something about you without you having to go through the full energy of breaking down and explaining to them your traumas, which is what none of us want to do. Yeah, I mean, addressing traumas is really difficult. Um, and it's not something that I, ne I think we necessarily want to do and look forward to doing. Um, and I think a lot of times when we bring black people into a conversation, um, it's a reactive measure where we're saying, okay, something awful just happened now now give us your perspective on all of these things. And when that's the case, it often doesn't allow us to be uh, proactive in our, our solution making because we're kind of in crisis control. And so what are some things that you think would be important to discuss when you actually are given the space uh, to really sit down and unpack an idea and not necessarily just be in response mode? It it honestly reminds me of something that happened uh, at work not that long ago where we were having these courageous conversations uh, across the whole company last year. And we were, as black people, we were essentially asked to give testimonials for when we <laughs> had run-ins with the police. And it was terrible. <laughs> and that's not what you want to center. That's not what you want to center these conversations around, obviously, because it's a very very surface honestly so yeah, it's not it's not the core of the conversation exactly I, oh i'm oh. picturing a bunch of uh like white people around with uh notebooks and pen and paper <laughs> <laughs> ready to talk so tell me more but anyway um so the question is how do we have these conversations uh, in a more nuanced fashion as opposed to just having them centered around, you know, black people's trauma? Um, I don't know if there's, you know, one way to do it. Um, I think you really have to just kind of evaluate a situation and see uh, when the opportunity presents itself. Because I think even we get caught up in the traumatic experiences sometimes because they're just such like there, there are these areas to enter a conversation with just like such strong visceral reactions. For sure. Um, but you know, I've had like a number of conversations, especially over the last year with uh, white friends in particular, but just non-black friends. Um, and a lot of times, you know, there are these really emotional and anecdotally driven conversations. Um, and a lot of people uh, aren't necessarily getting a complete understanding of how you know, the socioeconomic aspect of this, uh, the historical precedent of things tie into these things. Um, and so I had a particular white friend who I'm, you know, really close with that just like was not getting it. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself like, all right, this guy isn't dumb. Like he clearly has an understanding of the basics of history. 
Um, you know, he understands socioeconomics. So why isn't he getting these like, why, why is there such a huge disconnect when I'm explaining my experiences, I'm explaining the experiences of others um, and trying to like relate that in with the story of just white supremacy in this country. And uh, so it finally dawned on me because I'm like, all right, I'm the one who's being a little dumb here. Like this guy is really mathematically inclined. Like that's how you speak to him. And so I had to kind of change my whole narrative for how I was speaking to him. Um, and so the next time, like we inevitably have this conversation on race, um, you know, I bring out the numbers and, you know, I focus on explaining like the severity of the racial wealth gap um, because, you know, a 10 to one wealth gap makes sense to him. He sees, uh, you know, the restrictive nature of that. Um, and then I focus on, you know, the equity that's lost in housing, you know, due to things like redlining. And, and, and we focus on the disparities um, in inheritance and what that means for things like your ability to pay for college, your ability to have a house. Um, and, and, you know, we relate that to people who are, quote unquote, doing the right things like, you know, having a job, going to college, you know, waiting to have a kid until they're financially ready. And he's able to then kind of see that, okay, there are very clear indicators that are showing that race matters in these things. It's not necessarily just all of these preconceived notions about the quality of a person or if they're going about life on in the quote unquote right way. Um, and so because of that shift that I had in my way of like being able to articulate something, he was able to get these deeper concepts and he actually came to a much better understanding than a lot of other people might have who really just internalized the traumatic experiences and all they can really speak to is police violence um, or all they can speak to is racial conflict at a very surface level while not necessarily understanding the structural nuances of it. And so I think we can start to maybe identify some of these times and places to weave in these really critical points that really need to be unpacked a lot more. For sure. The first thing I want to say is mathematically inclined is how I'm talking about my bank account from now on. <laughs> you know, when people be like, Are you, you got enough money mean? for this? I'm like, I'm mathematically inclined. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the numbers is adding up. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. Uh, but more to, like more to, <laughs> more to that point, like I hear what you're saying, Joseph, and I think usually I have good points that I want to make. The problem is they usually get to me when I'm already in my emotional, I just got triggered from my trauma time. And they want that answer right now. And the problem that I have as a black man, if I respond to you and I'm a little, there's a little emotion in there, you're going to take that a lot differently than I anticipate, right? Because my voice is going to get a little stronger. I'm going to be a little more direct, but I'm telling you the truth. It may not be mean. I may not, I'm not cursing you out. I'm not saying anything like that. It's, it's going to be very direct though. And what I find is that it's hard for me to be a little honest in that space and actually talk about something because people can't deal with me being a little beyond, you know, normal. And I usually just take the loss and stay normal so everybody can be okay. And I'm really I want to share that side, but there is no turning back. And you know, as black men, once you you spark that thing and you've you've shown a little emotion, that's a dangerous space to be in, yep. in any environment. 
friendship, work, whatever. And even though it may be valid, and when you hear me talk, you be like, oh, that's valid. But the way I'm coming across, you would be like, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah, I mean, and we already discussed kind of the difficulty in that. Um, and I mean, and, and in Julian's case and the story that he told earlier, there was kind of an incentive structure that he was coming to the table, um, at least trying to hear someone out, you know, because he was in a relationship with them and he wanted to at least better understand their perspective. And I think in these conversations, I went out on a date with them. I was not. Or a few, okay, let a me few not. Dates. I don't. I don't want to get you. I don't want to get you not, out. Yeah, thank you. That's my bad. Yeah, clar- <laughs> <laughs> clarify. Be careful. <laughs> Slow your roll, player. <laughs> He was like, he was having flashbacks. Um, no, but I mean, you see what I'm saying though about that like shared incentive structure. And I don't think there's necessarily an incentive structure that people always see when they're talking about race. And so the, the times that there is a shared incentive structure is there are these uh, traumatic experiences and people want to maintain order like we were talking about before. And that's why, you know, words like unity get thrown around really loosely. Um, and, you know, more than anything, I really want to give dignity to the word unity. Because I think it's been lost because we really do just Definitely. throw it out there to just kind of save order. Uh, but what I was saying is, is like, how do we, how, you know, I, I think maybe the podcast is the answer, but like, how do we facilitate spaces where we can have conversations about these really heated topics that don't get introduced when it's just trauma? So, yeah, I think this podcast is a is a great place for us to start and that's why I was so excited about it. I mean, I think people get very short clips of reality, short clips of what it means to be um whatever marginalized group in America. And we don't really have time to really talk through what that means and the specific things that we run into. And I hope on this podcast to be able to not only explain those more but also talk about the things that I'm unaware of and how I had to come to terms with it. Um, even talking about the ways I challenge myself. And I think that is important because even if you have what you believe is a truth, are you willing to risk it to learn something new? It's something that I really take to heart as uh, something I like to do. Even if I know something, I listen to the other side. And are you willing to take that risk? If you're not willing to take that risk, you will not unify. That is not something that you're setting yourself up for. So the incentive structure is if you actually want things to come together, you have to be willing to risk what you already know or believe, you know, and I think in this podcast, we can really um, support some things and actually go against some things. And you as the listeners and us as, you know, uh, your presenters may be on both sides of those things at certain times. And I'm excited to uh, listen to what that looks like and see all of us go through that. Um, I think that's how we can really be a benefit to the people. Julian, I don't know if you've had any experiences where you've, you are, I mean, even someone you know has had to kind of relearn and rethink uh, as a result of just, you know, taking in new information and taking in new experiences. Um, but I know for me, at least, that helps shape my own perspective. It gives me more insight because it forces me to challenge my ideas. And I, I might actually grow to appreciate my ideas even more because they've been challenged mm-hmm. or they get a level of nuance that they were lacking before and a, and a level of perspective. Cause I always compare it to like glasses, like one person's like wearing glasses because they need them and someone else isn't. And so the person that's wearing glasses 
thinks glasses are the best thing in the world. They're like, without it, I can't see. And for another person, their view of glasses are like, why the hell would you wear those? <laughs> like, who, like, why do I have this thing on my face that's going to get cracked? Like, this is providing me nothing. And so it's the same thing, but because of your, of your perspective, because of your circumstance, your outlook on it is completely different. And so I'm just kind of curious, Julian, do you have any, you know, examples of just times where people have, you know, grown or you've grown because of your ability to discuss things with people? Absolutely. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is something that happened in grad school uh, with somebody who's actually a really good friend of mine now. But we were in a class and uh, this is really this is about to be Julian's story time is what I'm realizing. I'm, yeah, I, you're setting it up. I'm here, like for, that. It. I'm here <laughs> for it. I'm here for it. No, no, so, I like it's it. one I like time it. at band camp. I, right. <laughs> <laughs> but once upon a time, not long. All right. Not all right. But <laughs> so this guy um, originally from China, he came over to the U.S. for grad school and we were in class one day and he was telling a story about his visit to Chicago, first time in Chicago. And he said, it's a beautiful city. Um, he's an architecture student, so he was talking about the architecture. And he was like, you know, I was downtown, hopped on the train, and then went a little bit outside downtown, got off the train and saw nothing but black people. And I was hey. terrified. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Not where I thought that story was gonna go. <laughs> so naturally you know everybody's looking at me like what you finna say i'm not gonna say anything in front of everybody honestly we're not gonna have this conversation oh they were like right here, they were like right waiting now. like right do we get offended do we right, get offended right, right now? exactly oh, okay and i got yeah i'm no, just no. like there. i don't know you let it go for right now and i'm gonna we're gonna have a discussion after class so me and this guy ended up hanging out a lot um and then you know the more he hung out with me the more I opened up his views and some of the barriers that he had built up. Honestly, it wasn't even him building up those barriers. I think he had been fed certain things from where he was from. Um, and so he was more open to my perspective after actually having different conversations with me. And with the whole incentive, sometimes I think the issue with incentives when it comes to these conversations is that the incentive isn't really known until after the fact like mm -hmm. like yeah, they yeah. they're they're not sure that they they can live a better life after hearing these perspectives so meanwhile my friend now yeah. uh is much more open to being around black people and has himself a black girlfriend who he's probably gonna get married to so oh, that's much more yeah i i feel that like that's incentive one but two i'm I'm the Negro Cupid. Um, that's not even what you're asking, but that is what I what? am. So you're like Will Smith, you're Hitch. Right. Cool. Facts. Definitely. But cool. is, that's, a, okay. that's a good example that I have. Julian story time. Sorry. I got <laughs> stories for days. Y'all are going to learn. Yeah, Julian, we should get your friend a, uh, you know, we should make him feel good for that. That's that's a nice turnaround story. I like that. I didn't like where it was going at first. Y'all had me in the first half. By the second half, I was <laughs> um, but but really what you're talking about is your friend um put in the energy for unity. You know, like when you're coming from a, a space like that and you're unaware, he actually had to put work in, make friends, 
you know, even a girlfriend now, like that takes energy, that takes involvement, that takes understanding. And I think that's what we're trying to say for for UAP is whatever you're trying to do and you're trying to make uh, a unity happen in the space, it will take energy. It will take something from you. What are you willing to put up? You know, this is not something you can do without putting skin in the game. If you don't have skin in the game, please don't ask for unity. You are asking for people to be passive. You are asking for your own safety. Understand that. If you don't put skin in the game, there's the most selfish thing you can do because you're not basing it on anything. You just want to feel good. So take you out of it. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing is like you could tell that your friend at least was, you know, acting in good faith where he was coming to the table. You know, he said something that could, you know, clearly be construed as offensive. And I think so often like we have this nature where we want to make everything seem like if I ever say something wrong, I'll be canceled. And there's so much gray area in there where you can tell if someone actually is trying to come to the table and really understand something or doesn't understand something and genuinely will take in new information. And I think a lot of times we play this game of, oh, well, I can't even speak to anything now because everyone just is out to cancel me. I can never be wrong. And it's like, come on, like I've had conversations with people where they've said some really crazy things, but I could tell that they were coming to the table, at least trying to understand a new perspective. They were willing to examine things and they were really willing to just be raw with their own thoughts in a way that was actually a productive conversation. And so that that's just another thing that I want to be clear about that. I think we all try and make space for these conversations and you know, like what Julian did and what uh, Julian's not girlfriend, but date did for him <laughs> is like extend that, extend, <laughs> extend that level of grace. Uh, because I think people want to find allies and they want to find allyship um, more than anybody really just wants to be defense, uh, defensive and divisive. Right. Yeah. So on that point, you know, we talk about what unity is going to take from you. Like, what are some examples of what that means? It, there has to be pitfalls. There has to be flaws in that system. If something's going to take something from you, you're not always going to like it. It's not always going to turn out the best. So uh, what does that mean for people trying to unify what will happen to them? Um, I mean, I think a lot of times we just want to coalesce and not necessarily understand the individuality of people, which I think is actually an indicator of real unity. Like if we think about a team, one of the things that we do, like in team building, you find people's strengths and weaknesses. You get to know them. There's a level of camaraderie that has to be built to reach a bigger goal, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think we necessarily do that when it comes to topics like, you know, race or gender or sexuality or disability. We kind of just lump everything together and we're just like, this is the right way to treat everything. And everything shouldn't be treated that way. So like when we're talking about like the proactive nature of things, you need to actually engage with people and understand their perspective to actually ascribe a solution that's beneficial to them. What, you know, just because two groups of people are facing racism doesn't mean that the way in which it manifests is gonna be the same. Um, And the degree to which it might manifest is gonna be the same. The same thing with, you know, 
uh, gender inequality. Like, and, and this is where, you know, people like Kimberly Crenshaw bring in the idea of intersectionality. It's like what a black woman might be facing might be different from what an Asian woman might be facing, uh, which might be different from what a white woman might be facing. Um, like we even saw that with the incident uh, down in Georgia where we're at least questioning the multiple perspectives of what, you know, created this atmosphere where um, these Asian women were being killed. Was there a level of race and was there a level of gender that we're combining to create a situation? Whether, you know, whether that's a hate crime or not, it, it's I at least identifying that to question it. And so the same thing has to happen with us where we're willing to investigate and understand the ways in which there are differences, but we're coming together around solutions um, that help everyone as a whole. Uh, but th that that's something you really have to take the time to, to delve into and, and want to understand. Mm. Yeah, Joseph, I agree with, with everything that you just said, uh, because one fear that I have in regards to unifying is conflation um and yeah. and i essentially feel like it's it's like the easy road to to exactly. put everybody's issues under one umbrella instead of individually looking to see how these things can can be dealt with um so that's that's definitely my biggest fear when it comes to unity and i think we have that problem quite a bit in our present day i, I think this idea that we are all the same that's just sameness and I want to be clear. Unity does not mean sameness. Mm -hmm. Unity means an understanding of what we all want and where there's uh, ways to get that together. But sameness in the way that people put out, uh, this is a term that I hate and I will talk about this at, at, at length, is BIPOC. In other terms like that. I, I don't like it because it doesn't come with any set reason why we uh, should come together and work. It's just like, hey, you all are in the same boat, kind of. Um, we can kind of generalize you all together. So here, right. go do something together. And I, I think that's coming from a space of, I think it's actually a reflection from dominant culture, white culture on, hey, you all are over there in that group of people that has had something done to them. I don't Agreed. think that's a- Completely. I don't think that's a uh, from our perspective of how we would like to join in and work on issues with each other. And we have to be careful of that. Who gets to define our terms? Who's defining who we are together? Yeah, I mean, and that ties right back into the authorship that we talked about earlier, um, because authorship really creates a level of centricism. And so when so much of, especially in the States, when so much of what is understood is through a lens that is centered and catered to uh, whiteness and, and in particular white males, um, there's always, you know, anyone who is other than that gets lumped into groups. So, you know, it, and, and I think black people are at the extreme of that to the, to the point where so often we discuss Africa as a continent and we treat it almost like it's a country, like it's a singular idea. Uh, we, we think about black voters. We think about Latino voters. Latino voters are coming from how many different, you know, backgrounds and experiences? Uh, or Asian voters. And so it, it's these very monolithic terms that we use to describe anything that's not whiteness in a lot of ways. And that takes, you know, us promoting um, and others actively seeking out spaces that aren't simply authored by white voices um, and, and engaging with those in ways that want, in ways in which you're actually trying to come 
come from it with a deeper and more nuanced understanding. All right, that's a wrap on episode one. Thanks for listening. Uh, Be sure to listen to our first interview in episode two, which is with Inside Out founder Bobby Lyle. Last but not least, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Again, thanks for listening and peace. Peace.